achievement. Notoriety. Prestige. Historical accuracy. Red clothing. Political correctness. Colostomy bags. Fish sticks with chopsticks. Tuxedo shoes. Fancy fake smiles. I'm better than you. Well combed chest hair. Wardrobe malfunctions. Lipstick on a pig. Pickled beets. Pickled penis. Automobiles. The pizza flinging truck from Ninja Turtles. Yeast infections. Historically accurate models made with Legos. The Elephant Man's Bones. Anorexia. Giant props. Carly Simon's Basement. Giant side boobs. Korean fruits. Rabbit bears. Having sex with other men. The Mars Rover. Alright, ladies and gentlemen. It's a magical night. We have reached the last week of 2015, which means, as you all know, this is time for the Vigilant Geek Awards! I'll be your host this evening, Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me, as always, is... Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media, also hosting, in some regard, shape, or form... And we also have a uh, special guest. He's actually, he's much more than a guest at this point. He's uh, a co-analyst here at Vigilant Geek Media, but also uh, New England stand-up comedian and owner and operator of Hogcast Studios, Nathan Burke. That's me, and I'm, and I'm here as well. And I'm, uh, I don't know what you'd call me at this point. I'm like a, um, I'm like one of those, uh, like, uh, special guys they have on, on news networks. Yeah, uh, you're a specialist and an analyst. Yeah, yeah, a special analyst. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go with that for now. Special analyst. So, sp- sp- analyst. Yeah. We'll go with that. Ladies sure. and gentlemen, uh, we, uh, have a lot of great, uh, superlatives to go over with you, uh, in regards to the cream of the crop, the highest quality, uh, uh, comic book and geek pop culture based categories, uh, of, of, of highest achievement here for you, uh, this evening. Um, so we're gonna discuss today, we're gonna, we're gonna not only discuss the, the mainstream stuff here, uh, in regards to best comic book titles, best story arcs, 
comic book based motion pictures and television series and what have you. But we're also going to, uh, you know, as you know from last year, uh, discuss a lot of independent work as well. So, gentlemen, uh, what do you say we dust, just uh, dive into it here? It's, it's time, ladies and gentlemen. Boing, boing. With all the pomp and ceremony that can be provided to you from Vigilant Geek Media, we give you the Vigilant Geek Media Awards. These are the 2015 Vigilant Geek Awards. All right. So, um, I would actually, uh, I'd like to start out, I guess, uh, with a little bit of a debate. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we think would be the best mainstream comic book title. Ooh. Which is, you know, that's pretty much like winning the WWE like Undisputed Heavyweight Championship or whatever. I appreciate you bringing it down to my level. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is the, this is Thank one of the, for catering to my needs. <laughs> but this is one of the big uh, championship belts right here. Um, I'm gonna go right ahead and just throw it out there. Uh, I think Superman should win this year. I just think between Superman and Action Comics, actually, although we can only pick one title, uh, I'll go with the title book. Uh, since John Romita Jr. has taken over on uh, the Superman title book, the artwork has just been absolutely phenomenal. It sucked me right in, uh, and it just it, it it becomes a real page turner. And in regards to the story, uh, Sean Yang, I believe is his name, uh, is the new writer on Superman, but. What they have been doing with the character has just been so awesome. Because you look at Superman, and most people think, like, hey, uh, he can do anything, he can beat anybody, this book's boring, I'm putting it down. Well, I mean, there's a lot of other aspects to the Superman story that make it fascinating. I mean, you know, you look at a, a, a entity that is an alien from another galaxy, from another planet, um, that's trying to blend in with the human race, even though he could, he has the power basically to be a god, to rule over us if he so chose, but because of his moral compass, he doesn't, he protects us instead, which I've always found to be a fascinating part of the story, and uh, also Luther's uh complex that he has about always having to be better than Superman because he's probably one of the smartest people on the planet uh, and everything he tries to do to one-up Superman all the time. Um, but in regards to the story that's going on right now, uh, Superman has been nerfed. You know, we mentioned that at the last DC update. Uh, Superman has been outed in regards to his identity. Uh, this, uh, cyber terrorism group, Hoarder Root, uh, or I think it's just called Hoarder. No, yeah, it's called Hoarder, and then the, the, uh, the leader of Hoarder is Hoarder Root. Hoarder Root, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they discovered Clark Kent as Superman, and, uh, in order to, 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 you know, try to keep, uh, Clark out of harm's way, Lois outs him to everyone, so that Hoarder can no longer, uh, Black blackmail him. him and, but it creates, you know, there's a lot of backfire from that. There's also a lot of backfire from all of the obstacles he's had to overcome and, you know, all the adversaries he's had to go up against without his powers. 
we mentioned, you know, the alien uh, entity that has come to start taking over other people's bodies and uh, go after Superman. And then there was that giant creature that he fought in the middle of Metropolis. And he's had to do all sorts of different things. And then you go over to Batman Superman, that book, and, you know, he had that whole thing with uh, uh, the subterraneans. You know, he's doing all this without his powers. Hmm. Like, when are we going to see Superman without his powers ever again? We probably won't. Not in our lifetime. Maybe we will. I'm saying we won't. That alone is why, between that and John Romita Jr.'s artwork, my vote's for Superman. But I understand, Mr. Orm, you have a different uh, choice for best mainstream comic title. I do, and I will make my point right now. Um, you made a very strong argument for Superman. Um, all the things you said are excellent reasons to go ahead and choose the book. And to tell you, I'm kind of on the fence between the two, between uh, Superman and my choice. But um, I'm just going to let you um, I th- I believe that Flash has been the most consistent, uh, best quality book that's been put out all year. They've... Um, been doing some pretty big story arcs within Flash. They've uh, introduced some different ideas. Uh, the first story arc was when the future Barry Allen realizes that there's um, there's something wrong with the Speed Force, so he needs to go back in time, but he realizes that he's been losing time all these years. So the future Barry Allen comes back in time, somehow expels the, the normal Barry Allen from our reality and into somewhere into the Speed Force, and you get to see a different kind of Barry Allen, and then um, and then eventually things lead up to the end, which to the incredibly epic story arc going on right now with um, the original Reverse Flash, Doctor Zoom. Um, I just my my only argument is just for the past I don't know three years. No matter who's been on the Flash book, it's been absolutely solid, and it's not right. one of those books that absolutely just blows you away and tells you you, you got to go tell everybody about, about it. It's one of those books that it's it's always good. You pick it up. The story's always good. The artwork's always solid. Um, you go ahead. Um, you, you you know what you're getting when you're picking up the book. Um, just just out of sheer consistency, I just feel like like it just. Should just go with Flash for the win. No, you know, you make a great point there as well, and I, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, for, for, con- in regards to consistency, and if you look at it from like a business fight, standpoint. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> Throw mud in his eye. Come on! Get over here! Hit him with a chair! Um, no, but seriously, uh, uh, in regards to consistency, and, and if you were, say, uh, looking at numbers, you know, uh, in regards to a business sense, consistency is a very important variable. Putting butts in the seats. Uh, exactly. Or, or in, reg- in regards to this, it would be uh, taking comic books off the racks, but either way, and, and buying them, of course, not stealing them, mm. so that wouldn't help. But um, in regards to that... You can't deny Brian Buccoletto and Francis Manipal's, uh Flash run. I think that ended in 2014. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, um, they had a really long run. They had a really good run before they went over to DC Comics. I mean, uh, Detective Comics. Detective Comics, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and then you know Robert Vendetti picked it back, uh, picked picked it up from there, and and you know made it into something that's, in my opinion, even a little well. 
just as good, if not a hair better. I just really love the arc that he's doing right now. That's been really, really good. Yeah. Well, look, there's no way we can really decide this on our own. Um, We're going to have to call upon the aid of Nathan Burke here to help us uh, with a coin toss. Uh, what that's do you, why I'm here. That's why I got to, you know, that's why I'm... All right, well, we got to decide what's I'm what. I'm contractually what obligated. Do, what what do we say? Uh, heads, Superman, tails, the Flash. Cause, right, cause, right. Uh, Superman's the face of DC, and, he's, mm-hmm. and you, you see his face a lot, so he's heads. And then and, uh, the Flash is so fast, you're always looking at his back. And he's looking gonna, at his tail hand. He's, tail, gonna, yeah. he's got a nice yeah. tail. I don't know. I mean... You're always he, tailing him because he's always going to be in front of you because he's always too fast. That's exactly. right. We got in the back of it. We got good logic. Actually, Even though Superman's evil. just as fast, but I won't get into that. Let, let's just flip the coin. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. you're you're going for the uh, the money argument, which is interesting. That's a that's a big uh, pro wrestling uh, debate topic all the time. Like if you're considering the greatest wrestlers of all time, like some would say Hulk Hogan or like Steve Austin or because who made who made who the made company the most, the most money? money yeah. But if you're going from a technical aspect, people would say like Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart, right? Like that. Right. So, like, the real tech performers, but they didn't sell as many tickets as your Hogans. Or your rock. Or the ultimate warrior. Or the he ultimate was a real warrior. son of a bitch, but boy, did he put asses in the seats. Exactly, exactly. You gotta go for the bigger draw. It's an interesting, interesting, uh, interesting take on things. Is always. that a Ric Flair Funko pop? You're damn right it is. That is the, probably the best thing I've seen all day. Or, or your Ric Flair's as far as like, uh, you're, you know, you might have your, who's better, Hogan or Flair. Hogan was be- the better in-ring, uh, psychologist and, and uh put together better matches and all that, but uh but Hogan Flair. Hogan sold more. Yeah, well Flitzy, well Flair had better mic work, Flair had better mm-hmm. longevity. Mm-hmm. Um so. Flair had more wives. Flair had better longevity <laughs> despite his body. <laughs> Alright, well so, the most um, coin. Yeah, alright, alright. So so uh uh head Superman, tails flash, let's do this. Alright. Oh no, Oh, we'll do do a reflip. Do a reflip. What do we got? Our heads. All right. Super Superman for the win. Superman for best man best mainstream comic title. We have Superman. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan. That came down to the wire. Very nice. But I, I got to nice. tell you, that's really that, that was almost fifty fifty. <laughs> to be honest, it, it is really close between. Uh, Superman, Flash, and actually one other title, which I'm not going to disclose because it's coming up for next. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and talk now about Best Mainstream Story Arc. Best Mainstream Story Arc. Uh, I think you and I, Holden, are both in agreement mm-hmm. that we want to give it to Batman Endgame. Right. So, for those of you not familiar with the Endgame Story Arc, it's the story arc where the the Joker finally returns one last time and he's taking the kids gloves off he's tired of admiration for batman and everything else he just he's just ready to wipe the slate clean he's he's had his fun with them and um so he's just going to go ahead and create a new toxin that there's no cure for out of the strange and rare element and uh gas the whole city but that's only after you can completely just send the justice league after batman with a hypnotic agent and then causing batman to take out the entire justice league Leaving him on his own with no real help except for his, uh, gallery of former sidekicks. And, uh, and then in some of his rogues gallery. Um, it's probably the sec, well, the most iconic 
one of well one of the most iconic Scott Snyder Greg Capullo Batman arcs. Well, there's been so many at this point. Uh, I mean, I feel like every arc they put out has become iconic. I mean, you look at the uh, Court of Owls at the very beginning there. Court of Owls. The City of the Owls was right along with it. It kind of just goes together, those then, two arcs. And, and then, then they had Zero Year. Well, before that, uh, Death of the Family. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was... That was a big favorite for a long time. I mean, Death of the Family was 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 a huge arc. That was when the the Joker he uh, found his face and stapled it back on, and that it, it was just a very scary, creepy, full out horror story involving the Joker. It was fantastic. It was. I think it actually that it was one of the few story arcs that actually lived up to the hype. Although, when Batman's concerned, they tend to live up to the hype to their big story arcs, especially they kind of have they kind of have to. Oh, I mean, they... You know, it's Batman. It's Batman. If they don't you have, have to. I've heard they're starting to look for another new creative team because Greg Capullo is going to be doing a uh, side project with Mark Millar. Right. Yeah, I heard about that. I, I was kind of hoping they'd stay on the book for at least a decade. Well, I mean, who's to say Snyder... Did Snyder say he's going anywhere? Oh, he's not. He, they're going to hook him up with somebody else. I'm thinking... Murphy. I feel like Sean Murphy. Yeah, I took Mur the, Murphy or... Uh, took the words out of your mouth there, but yeah, Sean Murphy would be so good. Well, he also works with Jock a lot. Like Jock would be amazing. I think uh, he he worked with Jock before on one on uh, when he was on Detective Comics. Right, right. So I don't know if that's Jock something... is fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of artists that that Snyder has worked with in a lot of his uh, you know his Vertigo and Image titles as well. That would be. I mean, you mentioned Jock, uh, and you mentioned Sean Murphy. Those are two right there. Uh, so yeah, I don't think he'll have a problem finding anyone to work with. Uh, they're gonna pair him, pair him up with someone extraordinary. But either way, well, just it is just... sad to see Capullo go. I don't, I don't know if it's gonna though. be permanent. Yeah, I don't think it's permanent. But uh, well, he's one of those artists who's so intense um, that uh, he he only works on the Batman book. Yeah, I think they're paying him a lot of money to just work on the Batman book, and I think he only works on the one title, so he has you know all that time to work on it. And then that's uh, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they're basing, so. I mean, they're basing a huge chunk of the DCU off of their Batman run, if well, you think about it. Well, if Batman and uh, Superman don't sell, DC is, they're gonna be hurting, for sure. Especially, oh, with, yeah. especially with all the momentum that Marvel has. Marvel's put out a bunch of new stuff over the past week, and, and, and a lot of it's actually really good. And, um, they're not saying that DC would ever completely have the bottom fall out on them, but they haven't exactly made the best decisions in the past couple of years. With their characters, especially. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, agree. they'll go ahead and they'll make a good decision in, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to reboot the entire universe and call it the New 52. Okay. Well, so you go ahead and you have this opportunity, and then only like less than half the books are, are viably readable, you know? So it's just kind of got to keep the quality. Yeah, I understand the qualm right there. But uh now getting back to Endgame, um you know, you have these monumental story arcs that lead up to it. I think Zero Year was the last big arc, and Zero Year is sort of Snyder and Capullo's take on their own personal Batman origin, which you know, incorporated a lot of elements from the, uh, the, you know, some of the prominent origin stories from before. You look at, uh, the Joker origin they did with the Red Hood gang, and they sort of, uh, did their own version of Alan Moore and Brian Boland's, uh, 
Batman origin there with, you know, falling in the vat of the toxic chemicals, yada, yada, yada. You all know how that story goes. Mm-hmm. Um, happens so often. It happens to the best of us. What can you do? The only difference between us and the Joker is one bad day. That's what they say. <laughs> one bad day. One bad day away from being the Joker. Anyways, um, so then you get to Endgame. You, you know, the Joker disappears for a little while. I mean, they do the origin story with Zero Year. It was fantastic. Uh, but, you know, the Joker's been gone for a little bit. They bring him back. And this time, he's not playing games. He's not playing around. Just like you were saying, Holden. He's, it, it, it's a much more malicious, nastier, meaner, just more violent Joker. He's got, you know, he had like a facial reconstructive surgery or whatever, but he's got his face back to where it was. And, uh, you don't realize this. And actually, I don't even know if I should give this away, but there's this awesome little, uh, I guess you'd call it, it's not really an Easter egg, but, Oh, well, the little the foreshadowing in the uh the, in that annual. I forget which yeah. annual it was. Yeah, where the Joker was actually working at Arkham Asylum without without the makeup and had been in storyline yeah, over a year. If you have if you haven't read Endgame yet, we we're not going to spoil it all for you, but we're going to disclose this. You've had a year to read it. It came out early 2015. So, spoilers, yeah. Uh, I feel a little bad, but I don't feel that bad, actually. So, in an annual that came out for Batman, uh, probably six months shy of Endgame. So, this is like, you know, way far apart when it comes to comic book timelines. Like, book, all kinds of books have happened between that one annual and the beginning and middle and end of Endgame. I'm not complete. I think it's the, it's the, Annual number two, and it happened during the zero year arc. Yeah, it was during zero year. I don't remember the number. But basically, uh, the Joker had been working all along at Arkham Asylum, manipulating some of the other patients into doing his bidding. He's not wearing the makeup. He looks like a normal guy. He's going by the name Eric Border, which I think in some ancient language, I don't remember which one, is supposed to, the word Border stands for jester. Jester, Joker. So he's, huh. he's like playing that little game, but it was like this big, like, secret that eventually, like, you find out when Batman goes back to visit the old Arkham Asylum, because they moved the new Arkham Asylum into Wayne Manor when, uh, during Zero Year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Batman's back and he's visiting the Joker's old Cell, the old, uh, room in Arkham Asylum, and it's all decrepit and everything, no one's there, uh, and Eric Border shows up. So, you know, Batman's like, get out of here, you know, go home, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to do something you know, by myself here, you know, uh, I'm just visiting, you know, the Joker's old cell or whatever. Well, the Joker's standing right next to him, he doesn't even know. Yeah. And then he ends up locking Batman in the cell and revealing himself, and oh my god, if that wasn't one of the best Freaking comic book moments ever. So cool. So cool. All of a sudden, like, you know, the, the, the bars come down on the door. Batman's locked in the Joker's old cell. The Joker, all of a sudden, he's wiping the, he's wiping some of the, like, the, makeup. the makeup off and you can see the white face and he's like grinning at him. Oh man. Between that and then the, 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 the city just 
be, being taken over by the gas and turned into these uncontrollable zombies that heal themselves. The Dionysium and, was the chemical, or the, uh. Yes. Yeah, that was used for the toxin and. And the timeline, he had like 24 hours to come up with a cure for the city before, uh, before they die. It was. And then the final. It was intense. And then the final confrontation with the Joker in the catacombs. And then it sets up, uh, pretty much set up everything that DC's doing right now. It's probably the most important Batman arc of the year, and it will be probably one of the best all time once it's said and done, I think. Oh, uh, without a question, it's gonna be one of the best, most celebrated Batman stories ever. Hands down. So. Best mainstream story arc, Batman, Endgame. Now let's talk crossover events. Uh, we didn't do this last year, but we should have. Uh, we don't want to forget some of these excellent crossover events that happened. And we've had a few of them. We had uh, uh, Convergence with DC, which uh, was very ho-hum. Uh, but then uh, we had Marvel's Secret Wars. Now this is a lot different as we mentioned in earlier podcasts, a lot different from uh, the original Secret Wars that came out in the 80s. But it's an excellent, excellent story, uh, nonetheless. And, that, yeah, the easily probably the best event of the year. They've only really had two events this year. Uh, um, DC went ahead and had their Convergence event, which kind of tied into the Crisis of Infinite Earths. And- right. Kind of gave some people some closure there. I don't know. I guess there was a lot of people who were irritated with the way that the new 52 came into existence. And they wanted some closure on the other stuff. But uh, all in all, I'd say the best story being told as far as uh, the cross um, crossover events is easily Secret Wars. Um, Jonathan Hickman's been doing an amazing job on the Avengers titles over the past couple of years. And now this is his kind of like... Everything he's done over the past three years has led up to this story arc in Secret Wars. And it has everything you could possibly want. You got uh, fiefdoms run by different heroes and villains under the God Emperor Doom. Um, right. They're all different fragments from other worlds. When that cataclysmic event happened in the universe, or the two universes within Marvel uh, were destroyed... Uh, and then everything Doom goes and the mol- Doom manipulates the Molecule Man because the Molecule Man is the one that has the power to do this, but Doom has the uh, the vision, right. you know. So Doom manipulates the Molecule Man into combining all these fragments from other worlds and creating Battle World, which That's is where right. Secret Wars takes place. And I believe we got two, one more issue before the finale. What? Yeah, we got eight and nine. We're waiting around for. Has eight come out yet? Eight has come out yet. It's All right, funny. so we're just waiting for issue nine at this point. It, I haven't read eight yet either, though. But it, it's funny because they started out. It said one of eight when you got the first issue, and then after, right? And then now, like they're like, oh man, we can't finish this in eight issues. We need to do this in nine. So now, yeah. the, now some of the later books say, uh, look, like uh, seven of nine, eight of nine, because they just figured out that they uh, they needed to print an extra book in order to end the the arc. It's kind of funny. <laughs> But well, actually, also, still, um, I mean, they also needed a time extension because uh, Secret Wars is supposed to be over with, and uh, all the new Marvel books have pretty much come out. There's, uh, we're still waiting on a few, but most of the Marvel universe has been represented to us now through the all new, all different Marvel publishing initiative. Uh, 
so Secret Wars should have been over, but obviously, once again, they fig- they realized they couldn't finish it in eight books. They needed more time. And they needed another issue. Hey, you know what, though? It's such a good story. At this point, I don't mind waiting around for it. We'll see how, we'll see how, you know, cause, cause it's supposed to tell us how the whole battle world thing ends and how things go back to normal and the Marvel universe com- becomes reestablished. And, uh, then these new titles come out. Well, the new titles had to come out, what, September, October? Fall. Oct- I think it was more like October, November, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Spider-Man and Iron Man were the first two to come out. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, that happens sometimes when you're doing these big crossover events and since it's, it's, it's been done so well, it's almost like, you know, the old saying goes, you don't want to rush art. You don't want to do it. So you got to wait for it. Damn right. Yeah. Damn right. You don't want to rush art. Yeah. You can't rush art. You can't no. do it. Well said. Well so said. It goes for everything. All right, folks. This brings us, uh, to our last mainstream comic book superlative here, uh, best fringe book of 2015. Best fringe book of 2015. Best fringe book of 2015. Now take that blouse off and back like a dog. <laughs> now, best fringe book of 2015. Now, uh, this is another category that's new. We should have done this last year, but we didn't, so we're doing it this year. Uh, we had a few runners-up. Uh, I'd like to do an honorable mention for Daredevil. Mark Wade and Chris Samney's run on Daredevil was, you know, the artwork was fantastic. I didn't really care for the fact that they were, uh, you know, doing the whole story uh, based out of San Francisco, because... As we know, Matt Murdock outed himself in court to take down the Serpent Society uh, before they rebooted it the time before that. Uh, so everyone knows he's Matt Murdock, and he's been doing all this illegal vigilante bullshit, and they strip him of his bar. Uh, so he can't practice law in New York, so he has to move. Uh, but the cool thing about that arc that Mark Wade was able to do is he sort of had Hell's Kitchen kind of follow Daredevil out to the West Coast. Uh, the kingpin gets involved and it is cliche. You know, I've seen him square off against the kingpin and bullseye like thousands of times within the pages of comic books, but it was still, I don't know. Mark Wade still was able to make it interesting. It was really neat. It came down to the wire between like, you know, a really difficult decision that daredevil had to make, uh, involving foggy Nelson and his girlfriend at the time. I won't say any more about that, but, uh, basically, they were able to take, you know, Mark Wade and Chris Sam, they were able to take, you know, a story that didn't really seem very appealing in, in, in sort of, you know, halfway through their last arc, they hit you with a few, you know, curveballs and it's like, wow. And when they, when a writer's able to do that, you know, that's a pretty impressive thing as well. Uh, on the DC side of things, um, you know, we had books like Deathstroke and Suicide Squad, which have been good, but haven't impressed me entirely. Uh, one DC fringe character and title that did impress me, though, as well as you, Holden, was, mm-hmm. uh, The Midnighter. That's right. Midnighter is kind of your 
gay Batman, I guess. It's kind of what he is. He's That's kind of what he is, yeah. He's kind of a gay Batman. And then, uh, <laughs> well, he's, yeah. He's a um, very violent gay man. You don't want to mess with him. Yeah, and he, he doesn't care about his secret identity. I just think it's interesting because this is just like a far cry and a different type of character than we're really used to seeing. Um, he's kind of got this brain where it allows him to like predict things to like a million different scenarios. So he's like really good at hand-to-hand combat and he breaks a lot of jaws and noses. But like he also doesn't like he's um, not ashamed of who he is, which is very interesting and, and very empowering too. You know. So is he out as? as oh yeah, as yeah, a, yeah. As a superhero as well. No, he's a his. It's he's he's one of these characters where like. Yeah, um, he calls himself the Midnighter. Okay. So as far as he's concerned, that's his real name because he doesn't know his real name. Oh. And he 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 does he dresses up, but like he also lives his normal life and he goes on like dating websites and meets dudes and as as the Midnighter, like he is the Midnighter like all the time. No, not all the time, all the time. But uh so he doesn't but but he, he doesn't really have He is he he doesn't dress like him all the time. He is him all the time, but he doesn't dress like like in the leather like mm-hmm. hurt suit that, uh, that he wears. It's sort of like how, you know, Bruce Wayne is just a mask and Batman, you know, like Bruce Wayne thinks he's Batman whether he's in the cape and cowl or not. Right, right. Uh it's like it's almost like a uh like a psychological thing, you know, with these guys. Yeah. But all in all, I just like the direction of where it's going. I think it's uh, a good time, especially in today's age and society, that, like, these type of characters actually get more more print time in books. Yeah. Right. Um, and all in all, I'd say it's been really, really good, but um, it's still not the best fringe book of the year. Yeah, we have to give that award to The Punisher, uh, Nathan, Ooh. yeah, yeah, the Punisher, uh, really took the cake this year. Nathan Edmondson did a, just a fantabulous job, uh, with writing the character. Cause there's another character who kinda does the same thing. You know, he's the gunman of the Marvel U. Uh, sort of previously more like one dimensional, not, not a lot they were doing with him, or? It, it's more or less like, you know, I think it, they just, uh, the Punisher is the type of character that you really gotta touch the waters. You gotta have someone who, a writer and an artist who are competent and skilled enough in order to write the character. Uh-huh. Um, it's kinda just so gritty and dark that like sometimes people will take a run on it and then sometimes it'll leave a vacancy where, where someone could come and pick up the book, but like people don't always want to write the Punisher all the time. I see. Yeah. Um, and you know, this was an example of somebody who, who, who picked the book back up and, you know, they kind of picked it up with a clean slate because before Nathan Edmondson wrote, uh, started writing it, uh, the last we knew about the Punisher is the Avengers had captured and incarcerated him. Uh, there was an excellent five books Punisher Warzone series where, uh, I think this was back in 2013. And basically, uh, each Avenger he was like going after him because Peter Parker started the whole thing by saying, you know, guys, we gotta stop ignoring this friggin' guy with the skull t-shirt and all the goddamn guns and the, the, and all the cool stuff. Yeah. And the, and blowing things up and what have you. 
We can't have it anymore. You know, we're the goddamn Avengers. We got to do something about this fucking guy. He's killing everyone. Yeah. And uh, so Spider-Man goes after him, and Punisher makes mincemeat out of him. Not not literally. He doesn't kill him, but he beats the shit out of Spider-Man. And then, you know, different Avengers take their own approach to capturing him. He knows eventually he's going to go down. But the thing about Frank Castle is he's never going down without a fight. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. So Black Widow goes after him and chases him around in, like, the rainforest, and he outwits her, barely. Thor meets up with him, and he knows that Thor's, like, too powerful for him, but Thor's trying to reason with him and talk to him. They have a beer together. Eventually, (laughs) Thor realizes, like, he kind of warns him. He's like, all right, well, I didn't come here to get physical with you, Frank, but... You know, just be, just be. I just came here to chill, man. Yeah, pretty much. Like it was <laughs> weird. It, it was weird, but he's just like, you know, who's coming for you next? And then he goes, oh really? You know, who comes for me after you, Thor? And probably Iron Man, right? Oh, well, it's Iron Man and Captain America. The two of them square off, and they, you know, once again, you know, I don't quite remember every detail of the fight, but Punisher doesn't go down without a fight. I remember that much, but yeah, they take him down, they lock him up. So. Here we are, Nathan Edmondson, clean slate, fresh start with the Punisher. And he just does – the thing about Nathan Edmondson is it's not just, you know, uh, these covert op missions and blowing things up or whatever, you know, like typical Punisher status quo. You know, he does a lot of different things with Punisher. He, he starts out with him out in L.A., He's uh, taken down the Del Sol gang, uh, the Electro, uh, one of the big Spider-Man villains. Oh, he gets hired out as a mercenary for the cartel. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, after he takes down the first Del Sol brother in Electro, uh, he gets captured. Black Widow bails him out for a mission. After they finish the mission, Black Widow tricks him. Locks him up again. Frank breaks out of pit prison, goes back to L.A., and just takes down the Del Sol gang again, uh, this time for good. And the way he does it, the way he goes about it, and it, it's very cool. It's very dark. Nathan Edmondson was the very first writer to have the Punisher wearing a mask, which was pretty neat, pretty dark and cool. He had, like, the actual skull mask to go along with the, uh, with the shirt. The, with the shirt. I liked it. They even had one really awesome, like, uh, it was like probably a few pages worth of, uh, the Punisher blows up the cast of the new Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> it was just like they, they were like shooting a scene for the new Fantastic uh-huh. Four movie and like the Punisher just like drives by on a motorcycle and just like launches a few, launches wow. a few grenades, blows them up. <laughs> Wow, it was like a, it was like a big like f u to Fox. Obvious jab, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, big time. That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, uh, just because of the creativity more than anything else, I can't wait to see what else Nathan Edmondson does for Marvel. He also wrote a Deathlock book that I liked a lot as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll he give. Should, he should be working there for a while. Well, I don't know. Honestly, he's got enough talent that I'd like to see what he does with a creator owned. I'm yeah, sure he's got yeah. one. Every writer's got their own creator. Oh yeah, every writer. Absolutely. And yeah. I'll, I'll read, I'll read more of what he writes. He seems to be really good with the, you know, crime noir, shoot 'em up type stuff, yeah. so. Well, I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the next, uh, iteration of, uh, The Punisher with, uh, Becky Cloonan and, um, 
Yeah, uh, Steve, Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon, Who yeah. drew The Punisher for years with Garth Ennis. He also uh, was the artist on the Preacher books with Garth Ennis, too. They were a great creative team. Uh, and then you you got a guy uh, who's working with, you know, a fairly new writer, but she's good from what I've seen. But he's he's drawn this character for for like almost a decade, so he knows this character cold. And typically, you don't get the opportunity to see unless it's like a Dark Knight Returns type thing with Frank Miller or, or something like that. Uh, you don't get to see an artist come back and work on something they've already done because they want to expand their repertoire. But I think it was something that Steve Dillon really loved to do, so we're lucky to have him back. I don't know how long that'll be for, but I'm pumped. Can't wait. Best Fringe comic of 2015 is The Punisher. Right on. So, um, veering away from the books for a few moments, let's talk a little bit about film. All right. Now, we had a few comics-based uh, motion pictures come out this year from Marvel and Fox. Uh... We had Ant-Man. I saw that. Which was great. I saw it. In fact, it was, it was a difficult choice not to, not to give the award to Ant-Man, but there was, there was a Marvel movie that was just a hair better in our opinion, and that was Avengers 2 Age of Ultron. Right. Uh, just a hair better. Just a, the fact ah! that, the fact that it even exists kind of puts it over uh, Ant-Man a little bit. Yeah, just because the type of movies that the age that the the Avengers movies are, they're just they, it's unheard of to have this much star power in one film with with uh, established characters and everything. So all on screen together in that type of a team fashion, and just I mean all those see, yeah. egos and everything accumulated together into this one piece of yeah. storytelling the is fact that very they made this whole thing work. The with fin- like, with like all the, yeah, all the films culminating to one, uh, one series, and then still also doing those other films, like right. Like, it's you know, just it's, it's such an interesting new thing for just film with capital with cap- oh yeah with capitalism in general and greed in general yeah. with people who make this kind of money. The fact that something like this is even possible in the first place is amazing. Right. So every time they put out an Avengers movie. It's probably gonna win an award on the Vision Geek Awards. Hate to say it, but so far they just can't do they can't do wrong right now. I mean, Mm. uh, one of the qualms that I sort of had with some of these Marvel movies uh, in the beginning, especially uh, I think the first time I really came in into an issue with it was Iron Man three. But you know they'll take these big names for big story arcs that Marvel's done in the past. And then they'll change it around for, uh, the motion picture. They'll change the whole story. Like, you know, you, you notice in Age of Ultron, Tony Stark creates Ultron. Well, in the books, it's Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, mm-hmm. who actually creates Ultron. But you know something? It makes more sense to me that Stark would do something like this. He's way more of like an egomaniac. Uh, he's kind of a dick. And he's definitely smart enough, just like Pim. Uh, I don't know. I really liked it. I liked the approach they took for the storyline. It was different from the comic. And I love, I love, 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 love the Age of Ultron, uh, 
you know, crossover event that Marvel did back, I think that was 2012, 2013. It was phenomenal. It was like the most futuristic, dystopian, sci-fi awesomeness you could ever come across. Everything on Earth just turns to like freaking just turns to, to chaos. You, Chaos, right? Kind of chaos. Pretty much, like, like, yeah. like, it's just like, yeah, it, it's all, it's like a metal world, pretty much. I don't know. It, I, I, I totally dug it, but I dug the movie as well. Ant Man was great too. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna have to give it. We're gonna have to give it to Age of Ultron. So, yay! Uh, best comic book motion picture, Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. Now, uh, we're, we've come to another conundrum here where we're going to have to do a little coin flip. Uh, another debate we're having. Uh, this is going to be a debate over uh, the best comics-based television series. Now, we have a lot of great ones out there. We got, of course, last year's winner, Arrow, uh, which is just phenomenal. But it's sort of kind of gone downhill. Uh, I won't get into specifics. There's Gotham, which isn't very accurate to the source material at all. But in a weird way, I still kind of like watching it. Uh, what else do we got? I mean, we got Supergirl now. That that started in 2015. Haven't seen it yet. Mm. Uh, we have The Flash, which is one of the top choices here. And then, uh, Marvel started putting out their, uh, their Netflix series as well. Uh, so you get Marvel TV shows besides the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is on network television, which is actually really, really good. Uh, we also have, uh, Marvel's Daredevil and Marvel's Jessica Jones series. But we, we picked, we picked two, uh, of these comic book based shows, uh, Sorry, I forgot to mention The Walking Dead, too. That's another one. Anyways, but uh, we, we, we picked two of these shows that we really thought were the best. And we're, what we're having trouble with right now, correct me if I'm wrong, is choosing between Daredevil and The Flash. Yes. You, you believe that The Flash was probably the standout best show of the year last year. Well, I don't know, because Daredevil as well. Like, Daredevil was so good. I need, I still need to watch Daredevil. I've seen Jessica Jones, but I haven't seen Daredevil. Wow. I'm yeah, really, you uh, gotta see Daredevil. I'm man. on the fence between the two. Daredevil's a little bit like a hair better. Jessica oh, Jones yeah. is great. I yeah. love it. I haven't finished but, watching uh, all of season one of The Flash, but I, I have seen Daredevil. Oh, well, you haven't seen, like, their take on Flashpoint then, because at the end of season one of The Flash, they do their own little Flashpoint story. It's nothing like the Flashpoint Paradox, but it's the same kind of idea where Barry goes back in time to save his mother, but when he does that... He causes the... He causes all kinds of ripple effects in the the time-space continuum. Fantastic, and they did it so well, and it was probably like two episodes before that they had the big showdown with uh, Barry and Grodd, uh, Gorilla Grodd, Um, and... Everything, probably like the last five episodes of season one of The Flash, I could watch like in a block like every day and still be excited for like a year straight. 
is just so good. I'll have to see it. I mean, the Flash is one of my favorite characters. It's just, and if he's one of your favorite characters, they, you know, they have totally just taken the source material and put it on television so well. They make, you know, like every every other creative team, they make, you know, they've made their changes to the story, but right. they're they're minimal, they're minimal, and it's just such great writing. Such great acting by Grant Gustin and the rest of the cast. I love that show. I freaking love The Flash. Between, I mean, I'm I'm kind of torn between the two of them too. That's why we're we're gonna obviously flip the coin here. Yeah, this actually isn't something where we've each taken like a definitive side. This is like, all right, we really need to decide. You're both in agreement that it's well, they're well, it's they're a- they both deserve something, but in the Vigilant Geek Awards, only one. May. Two may enter, one may leave. That's right. So it's what are we choosing for heads? I what believe. Heads be? heads Let's go heads, Daredevil, tails, Flash. Uh, there we go. Okay. Let's see. Just like we did last time. Here's the coin flip. And? Tails. The Flash wins it. All right. So our best um, television show with comic book content is uh for 2015 is The Flash. Is The Flash. We're going to go with The Flash. you're always tailing him. That's and, right. That's, That's right. right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with the last of the superlatives to the 2015 Vigilant Geek Awards. Welcome back, you pack of geeks. We're doing the 2015 Vigilant Geek Awards right now. Vigilant Geek Awards! Woo! I'm, uh, your co-host Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me as always is my comic book partner in crime. Holding arm! Who's also a Vigilant Geek Media, and we also have Nathan Burke with us today. Who's who's also Vigilant Geek Media against his will until the end of days. Yes, I'm a consultant. As well as an uh, esteemed stand-up comedian and uh, uh, comic in residency at the Comedy Studio in Cambridge. Yes, so if you're around, come see me tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be there. Is after that, after that, the rest of the month. <laughs> after <laughs> that, they're going to get sick of you and kick your ass out of there. Exactly. They've heard all your your jokes. You're you're st- stinking up the place now. Pretty much. Uh, I'm just messing around, but uh um we've gone over quite a bit of mainstream material here uh in regards to mainstream comic books and uh comic book based motion pictures and television series. Uh one uh last mainstream uh superlative that uh deserves to be recognized for sure would be uh best comics-based animated feature of the year. Uh, we had a few come out. Uh, now, Marvel, from what I understand, I don't remember them coming out with anything this year. No. Well, see, Marvel, most of their animation is um, kind of pushed into a corner of the cable networking area uh, right. called 
Disney XD. Disney XD is where Disney puts all its action shows where they got the, you know, the young teens who are like got superhero powers. They got those sitcoms and then they got. That's where Ultimate Spider-Man fits in and and your Agent Hulk, Agents of Smash and then the Guardians of Galaxy cartoon. Um, Avengers Assemble, stuff like that. Avengers Assemble. Um, Marvel Animations are a far cry from the quality that we grew up with. Oh yeah. Initially, yeah. the the two pinnacle of uh of Marvel animations would be the X-Men cartoon that was on in the early 90s I and the same th- and the same thing with the Spider-Man con- cartoon that was on in the early 90s. Yeah, those those are incredible. Those yeah. are so good when Those like, I, I don't think there's anyone that can dispute that. They the, stand the st- test of time. They they use they went ahead and um, they used source material for the storytelling. I mean, they only lasted on about as long for as long as they had uh, stories to tell. Yeah, I think they only really came off the year uh, the air when they finally exhausted all the the story arcs that had uh, that had taken place. I believe there was. I just remember there was this uh, episode in season five, which was the last season of the X Men cartoon, where uh, they had like. This Christmas party at the like Xavier School and like Gambit <laughs> Gambit was like cooking turkey for everyone, but he made it like really spicy and burnt, like Cajun style, Cajun, yeah. and no one liked it. And then like they it turned into this like weird Christmas story where Wolverine was like a Christmas troll and Oh, I remember this, yeah. They're like Jubilees like trying to look cool in front of the younger kids who yeah. were at Xavier School. Yeah, exactly. And then that, and that was at the point where I think they they ran out of really good source they, material. They jumped the shark with a uh, gambit making a turkey. Yeah, he's like he's wearing the apron and the chef hat and the whole nine yards too. I mean, yeah. it, it was it's funny to watch. He's but the chef. I remember the very last episode. It was like Magneto comes and he amplifies Charles's psychic powers because he's sick, and he reaches out to the Shi'ar and. They come with their their alien space medicine and fix them, and then they're like, "Okay, that's the last episode of the X Men." Yeah, it'd be great if like thanks guys, had, like the you know like apocalypse and like and uh, like Magneto and Xavier all sit down for Thanksgiving. They should have done a Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> Where they put their differences aside and just enjoy a nice meal together. No, they they always end up fighting one reason or another. They'll yeah, probably be fighting over the damn the last turkey leg or the wishbone. Or, or like whatever. Sauron shows up and he like <laughs> he uses his hip his hypnosis to steal all the stockings from the orphans. So Jubilee <laughs> and like Wolverine have to hunt down Sauron and get the stockings back and. They they always do uh. stuff like that with a certain series. They'll have like a Christmas episode. Or something oh yeah, yeah, just, like, yeah. Completely take you out of it. Oh yeah. They're like, yes, this is a complete future, like, fantasy world with, like, elves and everything else, and by the way, they're all celebrating Christmas! Ah. But let's talk about some, some really good, uh, animated stuff that came out this year, and, and, and if, if we're gonna talk about that, uh, we're gonna have to talk about DC, because that's where it is. That's, where, a, that's where it's at. They're the ones making the best animated features right now. I don't believe Marvel came out with any. I think they did this one, uh, that kind of looks a little bit like an anime. The Punisher, Black Widow, uh, Avengers Confidential. Yes. Was yeah. that, was that even this year though? Like that I, was, that was 2014. That was a runner up for 2014. Oh, yeah. But, uh, also felt like last, last year, year we gave the award to Justice League War. Uh, now a runner up for this year would be the second Justice League installment that they did, Throne of Atlantis. That's right. They finally we- tied in the, uh, Aquaman. 
And it, it's a great story. It, it's pretty much just a big battle. You know, the Atlanteans are are facing off against uh, the Justice League in, in Earth. You know, yeah. And that's pretty much all you really need to know. And, you know, they, they go into depth about... Uh, you know, Aquaman's origin a little. Aquaman's and- origin, uh, Atlantis, this is politics, um, and then you see some subtle changes between the story arc that was in the New 52 and, um, and then this movie here, and in Justice League War, they substituted Aquaman with Shazam. Right. In the first one, it was, yeah. uh, it was not supposed to be Shazam in the first movie. I don't know why they decided to replace him. So, some of the stuff that happened in the first one, like when the shark comes up and like bites those uh, parademons. No, right. it wasn't parademons. It was something else. It was supposed to be parademons because that's what happened in the first Justice League War. No, actual... it was parademons. In Justice League War, you're talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those were the parademons. They didn't they didn't stray from that. The, the parademons getting bit by the shark? Yeah, that's the whole thing with Cyborg. Because uh, he got the parademon technology or whatever that helped him become... Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, he got the mother box. No, I'm just thinking of this one scene that uh that they they moved to Justice League um Throne of Atlantis from Justice League War when Parademons were being eaten by a shark. Hmm. They're like Aquaman uses the sharks and then they I will have to go view that one again because I don't remember that part. Well I don't know. Well it's something um if first read the read the origins arc. Uh, the Justice, Justice League, League Origins. It's Origins. The, the first. That's the first six. Uh, that's the first story arc that uh, Jeff Johns did with Jim Lee when the New Fifty Two. When the New Fifty Two came out, yeah, and that's for, what, for, for Justice League, and yeah. that's what Justice League War is loosely, um, loosely based on. Well, not, not uh, tight enough, with the exception of the Shazam, and then you know they caught up with the Aquaman stuff. But, but there's just there's too many holes and stuff. Um, as much as I enjoyed it, I don't feel it was the best animated feature of the year. DC did another one though. Um, was it Batman versus Robin? Yeah, their Batman stuff is just always top notch because uh, it's just one character that they know they they can't really fuck up on, and that and Superman. Uh, those are their two breadwinners right there. Uh, but Batman versus Robin was was pretty awesome. It was a follow up from uh, 2014's uh, Son of Batman. Where Damian Wayne just kicks the shit out of Deathstroke, which I think is a little bit unrealistic. That they don't give Deathstroke enough props in that one. But well, lately they've been giving him too much. Like, didn't they just make him swords that can kill gods? Well, yeah. But, <laughs> well, there's that. But Hephaestus, Hephaestus, he's the the god of. He's the armor or weaponry yeah. or whatever. So he fire and armor. The he, god yeah. of hard to pronounce names. Yeah. He so he he forges Deathstroke a, a special sword to, to kill a god, um, and he ends up you know teaming up with Wonder Woman on Themyscira to do so. Uh, and Superman gets involved, and but he doesn't have that sword for good. He has to give that back. Oh, he does. Well, a god's going to eventually come for it and say, hey, all right, you did your job, so give that back. Like, you're not just going <laughs> to run around the earth with that fucking sword that can god, kill. Gods are total <laughs> Indian givers. Yeah, well, you don't want to give a human, especially a human with the moral compass of Deathstroke, mm-hmm. the power of a god for too long, or who knows what the hell could happen. So either way, uh, I actually, I, I haven't. I, I haven't read the last issue of that arc. It, it came out already. It's in my, sitting in my stack right now. 
Uh, I'll keep you guys posted on that. But let's talk a little bit about this year's winner for Best Comics-Based Animated Feature, Batman versus Robin. Very nice. So, um, we're dealing with uh, a scenario here where... Uh, Damien, who's already kind of just a little shit to begin with, you know, uh, for those of you that don't know the background information, basically Talia al Ghul, who's Raz al Ghul's daughter, uh, ends up drugging and raping Bruce Wayne, uh, and then oh, having dark. him, be, you know, uh, impregnate her. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's, geez. cause, cause if you think about it, if you think about it, Bruce Wayne is not someone who's going to stop someday and think, hey, I should become a father. I should, yeah, I should settle down and hang up my cape and cowl and become a dad. I should start taking care of it. No, like if, if you like are like an orphan child or whatever and you want to live with Bruce Wayne, I mean, you'll have to fight crime because that's the only way that works, but you can live with him, but he's not going to. You know, Bruce takes care of number one. Yeah, well, he's not gonna consciously have you know make the decision to ha- to to have children on yeah. his own. So that if you think about it, in, in regards to story writing, that's the only way it would make sense is if he was drugged and raped. So you know, the Al Ghouls are very shifty and shady to begin with. Boy, they really painted themselves into a corner with that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, what's the only way we can have this character uh, reproduce? Yeah, it's gonna have him raped. I mean, got a, a little shady here. Give him a little, <laughs> you know, a little, little grease up the moral compass here. Give him a little, yeah, give him, little give moral him a, grease. A little Bill Cosby treatment. <laughs> no. <laughs> but either way, uh, yeah, that was the only way they could really do that to have that make sense. But so Damien's kind of a little shit to begin with just because of, you know, I mean, he's, he's an Al Ghoul too. He's not just a Wayne. Uh, so he's got that side of him and he's really rebelling and, and, you know, him and Bruce are like duking it out. There he is at 10 years old, like with the same amount of training as like some like 50 year old assassins. Oh yeah. I mean, the kid's kind of tough, but, uh. Oh, he's wicked tough. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I just think against Deathstroke is a little. Yeah. They didn't give Deathstroke enough props, but, um. Um, in the movie, the uh, Deathstroke comes in, he kinda wipes out the League of Assassins, you think Rachel Ghoul's dead? I don't think Rachel Ghoul ever dies. He never dies. He never dies. I don't think he's... The Lazarus Pit pretty much prevents any DC character from, like, being totally extinct. Like, that's DC's, like, get out of jail free card. If you kill off a character, you can just bring him right back if you want. Just, oh, they went to the Lazarus Pit. Well, I'm sure they could find something. Although, I don't know. That's what they do, though. What I'm thinking about it now, DC doesn't have as many rare, powerful artifacts as, say, Marvel does. Marvel, you got the Cosmic Cube, the Infinity Gauntlet with the Infinity Gems and the, the couple other things. Whereas in in DC, can you think of any all powerful artifact? I guess you got the. Uh, uh, what about the mother box or the Green Lantern rings? Or well, I guess you get the ring, and then you get the the rope. Uh, yeah, the lasso the of truth. There's always something, but yeah, I just kind of see what you're getting at. Like, but not like that one, like like oh, this is this 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 artifact right here. This will make everything better. But basically, uh, in regards to Batman versus Robin. Uh, one of the Talons, who's, you know, he's like the Talon, uh, who, who's, for those of you who don't know, the Court of Owls, 
I actually have a little bit of explaining to do. Adorable, by the way. No, Lord of Owls. No, they're not. <laughs> they're they're a very they're a very dangerous no. like uh, underground secret society that pretty much rules Gotham like from the shadows, mm. and they have these assassins that are like pretty much undestructible, indes- indestructible, blah, uh, called talents. And they're cryogenically frozen and then, uh, un- regenerate. Yeah, they regenerate and they're unfrozen when they're, uh, when they need them. Yeah, and to go enforce so, some, enforce some court of owl law. Yeah, so sure. Talon tries to recruit Damien. cute. Talon tries to recruit Damien Wayne. Uh, Damien Wayans. <laughs> not Damien Wayans. <laughs> And, uh, he almost gets away with it because Damien is so pissed off his dad that he's like, oh, dad, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go work for the Court of Owls. Well, I'll let you guys watch the cartoon to see how it ends. I'm sure you can figure it out. But, um, either way, it was very well done. The animation that's coming out of DC is always been top notch, but it is really stood the test of time, especially here in this example. And the Court of Owls, which is a fairly new uh, band of rogues in the Batman folklore, uh, created by St- Scott Snyder when he uh, first took the reins in, in Gotham City. Uh, and they've really spawned into something incredible. They're, they're one of the really big uh, sets of rogues that Batman seems to be encountering quite a bit here and there. They always keep popping back up. It's very cool. It's very cool concept. Secret societies are really cool. With, uh, uh, they're fun top to one percent types with their yeah, the one big per- fat bank accounts. Yeah, and- the one percenters. They're all they're always like interesting and fun to read about, and uh, it's always kind of fun to see Your a little Illuminati type of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and he takes that you know Snyder takes that aspect that conspiracy theory type thing and he he creates this amazing story that pretty much takes up the first two volumes of the Batman book mm-hmm. uh, since the new Fifty Two started up. Uh, so yeah, we'll give that one to Batman versus Robin. I think that's a hands down the best animated feature that came out this year. Agree. So, gentlemen, we're going to change gears here for the last segment of the Vigilant Geek Awards 2015, and we're going to talk about some indie stuff here. Uh, we try to review as much indie material as we can. We go to the, all the local cons here in New England, and we try to scoop up as much uh, uh, creator-owned material as we possibly can. We've, uh, we've reviewed some amazing stuff, uh, since Comic-Con this past summer. Uh, everything from, uh, uh, homeless comics and, you know, the books they put out, like Healed and Baby to HB Comics with Laser Man and Vindication and Mystery Man. Uh, but, Today we're going to discuss uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop that we have personally picked up at local cons this year. I guess we should start off with the big one, best indie graphic novel title, which we are giving to Roadhouse Sons, Volume 2, Part 1, Renegade. Yep, and uh, once again... They, they're just putting out quality stuff. The whole Roadhouse team is just 
Yeah, um, it's based off of a, like a, you know, an actual novel written by, uh, Jason Sanderson. Uh, we've discussed this before in, uh, some of our indie book podcasts and Comic Con podcasts and things like that. Uh, Mr. Sanderson is a great guy. I've had the privilege of speaking with him a few times. He's a, he's a, actually, uh, an ex pro wrestler, uh, who, you know, wrestled in a lot of the old circuits. Uh, he's a big guy, you know. He looks like he could crush you with a bear hug. Um, but anyways, um, he wrote this awesome book because uh, he's he's also a road manager for a band called Studebaker Hawk, uh, who, you know, that's where sort of the inspiration came from. And it's basically this, this you know, dive bar uh, rock band that uh, becomes a uh, secret uh covert uh agents for the government uh during the time of the cold war if say the cold war went hot which in this book it did um so you know after dangerous gambles which was uh you know the first volume that they put out uh you know they get involved with some pretty uh hairy situations involving some of the communist sympathizers and was it uh Canadian drug runners in Vermont. That was the first yeah, one, right? Yeah, that was like pretty much the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's the second one, which is uh what we what we gave the award to, is um the the premise of that book is uh Renegade. Renegade is that they're in um middle America and they're trying to wait to just like come together with some gigs so that they can go ahead and hit the ground and try to really um, figure out uh, what kind of underhanded things uh, the communists are trying to do within the country because uh, they were they were um, the band was uh, recruited because they, they 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 easily rub elbows with the shadier elements of this types of things that the government wants to kind of keep their eye on. Now, I forget, was it the FBI? It's the FBI they're working for, right? Yeah. Okay, all right. Continue, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. And then, uh, yeah, so anyways, they, they're doing their thing in Missouri, and they're trying to, uh, and uh, I think they've uh, encountered um, some, like, overly nationalistic uh, locals who are trying to rough up uh, just people, new people coming into town, and a lot of guilt-tripping the population around to uh, buy war bonds and everything else, and... Uh, it's kind of that uh, the way the scale they do things. It's very much kind of boots on the ground. Like you got this Cold War gone hot, but and there's the front lines in Alaska and everything. But it gives you kind of the tones and the things that's going down on the on the most base level. Of, yeah, like the ra- uh, of, the uh, government rationing and things like that. Yeah, because they're, they're dealing with these low level kind of drug uh, um, drug uh, dealers and. Um, Low-level drug dealers and low-level criminals, kind of. Yeah. Well, that's the whole reason for the FBI using the ban in the first place, because they have to infiltrate that sort of walk of life, and the quickest and easiest way to do that is by using the actual bands for, you know, the band is is what people congregate to see, and then that's where the drugs come from, and then there you go. Yeah. So, no, very interesting read. I can't wait for part two and part three of Renegade to come out. Uh... 
you know, the layouts and the artwork done by Allison Barros and uh, her husband, Romas, is just something that is just absolutely extraordinary. And uh, their daughter, Alexandra Kukulis, uh, is the graphic designer and colorist on the book. And if you, if you pick up, uh, any one of the Roadhouse Sons trade paperbacks, they are just such high quality. You can just tell, uh, that they were just published so well. Uh, coloring and pencil work and inking just done so extraordinarily well. You got a um, address that, uh, people oh, yeah. might be able to look this up? The if, indie if, books are, uh, kind of hard to find. Well, yeah, we're, we're gonna, we'll give you an address. Uh, it's very simple actually. You just go to www.roadhousesons, all one word, all lowercase, dot com. Uh, and you can pick up, uh, any or all of, uh, these excellent trade paperbacks about the Roadhouse Sons, the band that became secret agent spies during the Cold War that went hot in this 70s? Scenario. Radical. Yeah. 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 Um, so continuing here and moving right along, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, our next superlative, best independent story arc. Now this is a little bit different because, um, we had talked about this particular title last year for the same exact superlative, but we found a technicality, um, Due to the fact that it came out in trade paperback form just this year, just this past summer, um, that qualifies it for uh, being in the running for 2015 as well. And, and the name of that title is? Return to Rander, the oh. Lone Savior. And it, it, it deserves it. Best two years in a row, at least. And thank goodness for the loophole, because... The, the, the collection of the, the story in, in the trade paperback is so, it flows so well and it's really the, the way it was meant to be read. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to the next volume of Return to Rander. Oh, me as well. Uh, it's a fantastic mashup of, uh, like Western style archetypes meets samurai. Um, and you have this guy, who sort of has amnesia, and he's just basically trying to find his way home, but he forgot everything he knows about his past and who he is. And meanwhile, this uh, mysterious villain, the Matador, is tracking him throughout this mystical land called... Uh, what's that? What's what's the name of like the actual realm that Tony Sedani created? It's like a five points. The five points, right. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to find his way back to Rander. Like in Gangs of New York. The five points. That's what the... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. a kill. This is a kill. This is a kill. This is a kill. Daniel okay. Day-Lewis, man. You got to love how ruthless Cut he is. beak off of that Melanie yours. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, Return to Rander kind of has a feel of like an old Eastwood spaghetti western... You know, those movies that Sergio Leone put out, like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and things like that. Uh, but it also has, like, these awesome samurai archetypes, too. So it's just a really cool... And, and the story itself is just written so well. Tony Sedanis... Uh, or is it Tony Sedani? I always fuck that up. Sedani, I thought. Yeah, Tony Sedani. Um, that's right. 
he uh he does such a just a fantastic job with uh foreshadowing and suspense and the villain that he created in the matador i still have like his artwork on my wall right now of the matador mask it's all just so cool so um once again if you're somebody who's looking to pick up some of these indie great indie uh trade paperbacks uh Go to return to rander, all, once again, all one word, all lowercase, return to rander.com, and, uh, you can purchase it there. So this brings us to our last superlative of the awards show. Ta ta ta! Last superlative. Well, the last superlative we have here is Best Indie Anthology. So this is sort of a collaboratory uh, publication uh, that would be uh, worked on by numerous writers and artists, creators, um, to form you know, a big book of stories, basically a big book of short stories. And anth- you'll see anthologies all the time. A lot more prominent with independent work, it seems, than mainstream stuff, although... You do see some anthologies come out with some of the mainstream labels. It's it's a rarity, though. Um, but for this year, we want to pay homage to the best indie anthology of 2015, which would be Outbound Volume 2. Now, Outbound Volume 2, actually, it, it didn't come out in 2015. It came out a little earlier, but... Well, I think it was like last... No, I think it was 2014, year? maybe. But... You know what? We're bending the rules a little bit because I loved it. Um, some of the artists and writers that I've been following from the Boston Comics Roundtable, uh, which is, you know, the group of people in Boston who have worked on these anthologies. Uh, I'm, I'm been following them for a long time, as well as Riverbird Studios, which is owned by, uh, Mr. Rojo, uh, who also, uh, you know, does a lot of the art and writing for uh, the different anthologies that Boston Comics Roundtable put out. Uh, he's one of the bigwigs there. Um, just to mention just a few of the stories that I really, really enjoyed. You got the Black Fusca written by Rojo, uh, art by Dave Myers and Steve Wilhite. Um, this is about a car that... Um, takes a, a a a man on a on a interdimensional journey uh it starts off in a cornfield he gets struck by lightning and then he just ends up in some weird situations are these stories all standalone or the continuations from volume one? Oh, they'd be continuations from volume one sure um so so you'd have to get volume one first to be in the know um but Either way, it's just, it's a fantastic read. If you love sci-fi, Outbound is actually, it's just such a great, uh, collection of little stories to pick up. You got the Null Device, uh, written by, written and drawn by David Marshall, who's one of the other big names at the comic book round table. Um, basically, once again, you're dealing with, uh, you know, this group of secret agents who have USB ports in their head and they use them somehow to transport themselves to a different dimension where they have to rescue this agent who's captured. It kind of sounds like Johnny Mnemonic. 
Only half of it, except the interdimensional stuff. The USB stuff in the head, that's Johnny Mnemonic stuff. Oh, I never saw it. I wouldn't yeah, yeah. know. It had Keanu Reeves, and it took place in a dystopian future, and there's something to do with Yakuza, and um, a cure for the Black Shakes, whatever the Black Shakes are. Something they made up, I guess. It's a, in, I think it's a band. Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a good the name Black for Keys a band. Black Keys and the Alabama Shakes. It's like a combination. That'd be a good super group. Black, yeah. Black Keys and Alabama <laughs> Shakes. I'd, I'd listen to that. The Black Shakes. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think one last title I'd like to just mention real quick is uh, a story called Space and Time, written by Josh Mills and Mike Poloni, uh, with David Marshall and Rojo working on that one as well, I think particularly with the artwork. Um, all these guys are just so fantastic. Um, this story pretty much revolves around uh, a space smuggler uh, who, you know, let's... A few, uh, a, a, a father and a daughter, uh, board her ship along with a lot of mysterious cargo, uh, in order to make a few extra bucks to bring them to, from place to place. And, uh, they end up having some malfunctions aboard the ship, and they crash land on this planet where there's these cyborgs. The cyborgs capture the father. The, uh, space smuggler seems to be a lot more concerned with the cargo than anything else, and the daughter's trying to save her father. But uh, just the way it was drawn, uh, Rojo and David Marshall, they both seem to really know how to use uh, space within a panel really well. The usage of blacks and whites and different shadings is just something phenomenal to look at. Um, but all these stories, you know, there's some that are dark, some that are a lot more lighthearted, but there's a little bit of everything in these anthologies for, for everyone. Uh, but if you're a sci-fi lover, you will love Outbound Volumes 1 and 2. Are they working on a Volume 3? They most certainly are. Uh, they're working on Volume 3 of Outbound right now. They've done away with Hellbound for the time being, for the horror aspect of things. So they've done five volumes of that. And they've just started doing something really cool, uh, a new anthology line called Spellbound, which is all fantasy-related stories, which is really neat. Oh, that should be a pretty good take. We'll yeah. see how they do. Yeah, Rojo said he'd be mailing me a copy as soon as it was released. He has my he has my address. No, oh, that's outstanding. So uh, we will get it, and we will review it for the Vigilant Geek ASAP. But I think this uh, concludes the Vigilant Geek Awards this year. It's been very, very good. Um, Everyone was dressed so nice. Uh, should we do a quick recap of who won what and then thank the audience? Let's do it. Let's start off. Uh, let's do a quick rundown for those of you who missed it. Although it's, it is a podcast, so you could just <laughs> rewind it. But um, Best mainstream comic title, we, we went with Superman. Best mainstream story arc, Batman Endgame. Best crossover event, Marvel Secret Wars. Best fringe book, The Punisher. Best comic-based motion picture, The Avengers 2 Age of Ultron. Best comics-based television series, The Flash. Best comics-based animated feature, Batman vs. Robin. Best independent graphic novel, Roadhouse Sons Renegade. Best Indie Story Arc, Return to Rander, The Lone Savior. Best Indie Anthology, Outbound Volume 2. There you have it, folks. 
That is the 2015 Vigilant Geek Award winners. Let's give a round of applause. Yay. Accolades. Yay. Accolades Yay. all around. Yeah. Nice everyone did great. Everyone looks fantastic. <laughs> this, this is, all gorgeous. the stars are out tonight. Everyone was dressed so well. Gorgeous. <laughs> So we want to thank you all for listening, uh, and if you've been listening over the course of this past year, this is our inaugural year for our podcast, so, uh, you know, it was our first year doing it, we love doing it, so we're going to keep doing it, and we got a lot of great stuff in store for you guys for 2016, stay tuned, you're not going to want to miss out, I'm Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and I'm Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. And, I, and I'm Nathan Burke. I'm here as well. You're, you're a, a vigilant, a, geek, a vigilant media. geek media now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and we just want to say it. I'm a, I'm a vigilant geek media as yes! well. Yes, he said it. All right, he said it. Good. We pressured him into it. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun awarding these fine comic book and comic book related creators the accolades they deserve. We want to just remind you all to please stay tuned in 2016 for lots of great things to come. And more importantly, as always, stay vigilant! <laughs>